So we'll be in Luke chapter 2. I want to cover a lot of that chapter because I think the reason Luke included this in his gospel is for a very specific purpose. But before we do, I want to start in Proverbs chapter 3. And I want to start by just saying something. And maybe this is some, something, the only thing some of y'all need to hear. Man, faith is hard. Like belief is hard, right? Um, and when I say faith, I mean, I mean trusting in something that you, you can't be you don't see it yet. Like you trust, that's what, that's, what, that's what the word trust is. Do you trust this thing? If the answer is, I will trust as soon as I can understand every single detail, then by its very definition, that's not trust, right? And so like faith, this, this trusting in something that we can't see and that, that hoping for things that are unseen, like it is hard because we live in a world that, that is... Um, that is not um, subtle, like the world is so in our face and the world is constantly saying the message like God can't be trusted, here are things we can trust in, and, and I find my heart and I find my emotions regularly <coughs> responding to that message with this right here. You know they make a good point. You know what I mean? I find my heart and my emotions when the world tells me Sure, the Jesus thing, and the, but the world says, here's what you can truly put your faith in. I find my heart of hearts at times going, golly, that's a, that's a good point, you know? And there's, there's times that, that it seems like my understanding leads towards, you know, God can't be trusted. I, I better build up a, a trust bank for myself. I better make sure I have all the angles covered. I better make sure that I know everything that's going on. I better make sure that I am in control of every single situation. And by the way, do you realize that you don't have control of anything? Have you recognized that yet? And so you hear people say, and I, and I like the sentiment, I, I understand what you're saying, but you hear people say a lot like, I finally gave up control to God. And I understand what you're saying, but you understand that what you, that's foolishness because you never had control to begin with. The only thing we give up is the illusion of control, right? And so, I, sorry to burst some of your bubbles, but if you think you're in control, life just hasn't kicked the mess out of you enough yet. And that's the edited version because we have young ears in the room. And that's why, honestly, if I said, who in here knows, and I'm not asking you to do this, who in this room knows that you're not in control of anything? My guess is that the room would be divided probably with the older folks and the younger folks. That's usually how it is, is that the people who have more experience have realized, man, I can control a thing. I can influence, I can manipulate, I can guilt people into doing things, but when it comes to control, I can't do it. And so, anyways, all that to say, you hear that sentiment, and you'll probably even see it in Christian lyrics. I could, I could make a t-shirt out of that and, and give them away in Tyler, Texas, and people would be like, yeah. I could crochet it on a pillow, and people would be like, yes, perfect theology, because it's on a pillow. And if I could make it rhyme, then it would be like set in doctrine forever, right? Um, it's just the idea of I gave up control. To, you never gave up control. You give up the illusion of control. And so I'm saying all this to say is like, man, if we're looking for our trust to be built upon our complete control and understanding of a God, a couple things. One, that's not going to happen. Two, that would make you God. And three, if that were the case, He's not really worth worshiping. Can I say that? If I could fit God into the tiny little eight-pound cranium that is, that is my head, He's really not that impressive, right? 
And so look at Proverbs chapter 3. Today we're, we're going to talk about that just faith is hard and it's usually accompanied by doubt. Proverbs 3, you'll probably have this memorized. I hope this is highlighted in your Bible. Uh, the, the writer says, trust. There's, that, there's the word right there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Pause there. And then he says, hey, what does this look like at the same time? This is, this is not him saying, so listen, this is not him saying, hey, hey, trust in God. And also this, what he's saying is, trust in the Lord is the same thing as this other side. Look at the other side of the coin. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Like, lean not on your own understanding. So please don't miss this. He's, guys, that's, that's two sides of the same coin. Those are not two separate ideas. It's not like, yeah, I trust in God, and then maybe one day when I'm really like a varsity-level Christian, then I will stop leaning on my understanding. The, the issue is those are the same thing. Because if you're truly trusting in God, the other side of that coin is I can't trust my own understanding because there's a rabbi that's going to come, up, come along thousands of years later that he's going to say, you can not serve two masters. You can't do it. And so this idea of I trust in God, but I also want to trust in my understanding. I want to, I want to understand him. I love you enough to say you are, you're chasing after the wind. It's not going to happen, right? And so the example I always use is that, you know, faith Trust in God and, and complete 100% understanding, they can not coexist. And I've showed you this many times, and I'll show you it again. I think you need to be able to do this even at a, a restaurant table with friends. And, and I hope you're bored of this, but it's like this. If, I, if, I have this. if I say, hey, I have something in my hand, and I, can you hear it? Okay, what does it sound like? It sounds like some coins. And, and then if I say this, if I say, do you trust me that I'm looking at you in the eye and I say, there are two quarters in my hand. Do you trust me? Yeah, right now you have what's called faith. You have faith in me of what I say is true. This is what faith is. You, do you have sight? No, I'll say it this way. Do you have complete understanding? No. Right? And so if you have faith, watch this. When I give you complete sight, your faith will be 100% destroyed. And so this is why I'm saying that there's no such thing as when I have complete understanding, then I'll trust God. It's not going to happen. Watch me destroy your faith. All I have to do is open my hand. And what is in my hand? Two quarters. What's in my hand is exactly what I told you is in my hand. But look, when I have my hand open, do you have to trust me at all? No. What do you trust now? Your own understanding. And so do you see how these two can not coexist? And I'm, I'm saying this, I think there's at least one person in the room that, man, you need to see this. Like, I understand this wrestle. I understand the frustration of like, God, just make yourself clear to me. Like, and, and, and that's a good prayer, but if the prayer is, God, when I, I understand 100%, then I'll trust you, God won't honor that prayer. And the reason is, is because he wants trust in him, right? If, if I just show you my hand, do you have to trust me at all? Do you even have to know my name? Do, you, do we have to have history? 
Do we have to have, have our families have been uh, together? Have I had, ever had to share a meal? You know, but when, the, when my hand is closed, if, if Russell is looking at you and saying, man, think of the years we've had together, you know? And I, and I go to Matt and I say, Matt, do you trust me? Like, do you trust? And he says, yes. And I say, do you believe me that there's two quarters in my hand? My guess is that Matt, from the years we spent together, you would look at me and I hope you would say, Russell, I trust that there's two quarters in your hand. And then, some, and then if Matt says, hey, will you open your hand so that I can know for sure, the most loving thing I can do to maintain this relationship is to look at him and say, no. Here, listen though. I'll give you tons of hints, but I want you to trust me, right? And so, man, this idea of trusting God and leaning not on our own understanding, it's something that I wrestle with and everybody in this room does as well. It, don't lie to me, right? <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes we're just a bunch of liars, you know? Like, I have faith, 100,000, complete, fully, 100%. And I'm like, gosh. And I'm, I'm the dude that, I'm the guy that meets Jesus and says, I believe, but help my unbelief, you know? Or, or I'm the guy, I'm Thomas, that when Jesus returned, when Jesus came back from the dead, Thomas said, ah, uh, can I see your hands? He says, let me see the scars. And Thomas says, can I see your side? Let me put my hand in the side where they pierced you with a sword. And, and like, that's me. Like, I'm Thomas, that Jesus is standing in front of me, and I'm just, and I'm looking around, and everybody else is excited. I'm like, Ah, God, just help me out. God, help me out. And what you're going to see is I think Luke spends a, a good portion of the first part of his gospel painting that picture. So go to Luke chapter 2. Are you shushing a baby? <laughs> yeah, you are, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, now you're staring the baby down. Come on. Sorry, Brooklyn. Sweet girl. Oh, my gosh. All right, so, okay, so look at Luke chapter 2. I want to, I want us as a church to look at the outline of this whole second part of this chapter. So last week we ended at the shepherds had just visited um, Mary and Joseph after baby Jesus was born. And so look at Luke chapter 2, look at verse 21 all the way to verse 52. That's the rest of that chapter. So verses 21 to 52 in, in this account, we get some information that weren't put in any of the other gospel accounts, okay? So this is information that somehow Luke, when he uh, compiled his gospel, somehow he got this information that Mark didn't and Matthew didn't, okay? And so I believe what he did was, remember, Luke was not a firsthand apostle, so everything in his gospel, his secondhand account that he would go talk to reliable witnesses. And what I think he did is you have Luke, who's a great doctor, a great physician, and I think he did something that Mark and Matthew weren't able to do. I think he went and interviewed Mary, and he was able to make her give him some information that the other guys didn't, you know? Think about a doctor. The best doctors have a really good bedside manner, don't they? You know, Luke was a fantastic doctor. The best doctors sit there and they listen. I had a doctor in Dallas that usually... I, my appointments were like 45 minutes and he would just sit there and just listen to you. He wouldn't come in and get on his computer. He'd sit down and just lean and he'd say, well, tell me what's going on. And he'd just ask questions after question. And it would make me want to, it was a safe place for me to give him information. And so I think that Luke got this extra information. He says, I've got to put this in my gospel. And I think there's a very specific reason. So let's read through. I'm going to read through the whole thing. There's going to be three main things that happen. Okay, we're going to meet a guy named Simeon. 
We're going to meet a lady named Anna. And then we're going to hear the story of when Jesus was a boy and his parents left him at the temple. So let's read through this. And then I want to point out, I want to step back and kind of look at what's, what's Luke trying to communicate here. So uh, look at verse 21. It says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, that's Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And that, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, that's actually not what was said in the law. They're supposed to sacrifice like a cow or a sheep. But if a family could not afford to do so, the law says you can just do two young doves. Why is that? Because doves were cheap. And so that, that, that uh, verse right there tells you, hey, Jesus' family was, was pretty poor. Okay, so these they come from very modest um, background. Verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And so what I want you to look for is when Simeon meets Jesus, look at his response real quick. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So it's a pretty, pretty gentle, pretty nice little picture here. You have this guy that this is, this is the only person in Scripture that, it's, that Luke actually says they took Jesus in his arms. And then you have him, he praised God saying, so look at Simeon's response, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Why is that? Because remember, God had said, hey, you will not die until my promise is fulfilled. Right? And so Simeon has lived his life looking for the fulfillment of this promise. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel, the child's father and mother, that's Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul to. Uh, the reference there is, that's a real nice way of him saying, hey, you're, you're going to watch your son hang on a cross, and it's going to cut your soul to the core, right? Uh, it's a pretty harsh thing to say. Verse 36, there was also a prophetess named Anna. So this is the second person we're meeting. Look at Anna's response to Jesus. The daughter of Phanuel and of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and when was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. 
she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So her response to Jesus is very strong. Verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Okay, so pause there. And, and then um, if this was a movie, it would fade to black and then the letters would come up on the bottom and it would say 12 years later or the narrator would say that. Okay, so we jump ahead 12 years. Verse 41, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. Okay, so pause there. So this is something they've done every year. It's like a family, not really a vacation, but it's something that all good Jewish families would go up to Jerusalem to to do this uh, festival. And every year they did it and Jesus would come back home, no problem. But this year when he was 12 years old, the reason that number is significant is that's when Jewish boys would start to learn their father's trade, okay? So at this point, if, if your dad was a, I don't know, carpenter, that means that's when you would start learning how to be a carpenter. If your dad was a blacksmith, you'd start learning to blacksmith, right? So this is a different year. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but they were unaware of it. Thinking he, they were, he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Okay, so pause here. Most, Joseph and Mary aren't terrible parents, okay? Like, remember, they would travel in large groups a lot, and it took several days. And, and these trips, this wasn't just let's drive over to Dallas real quick. Like, you had to pack up all this stuff. And so they're amongst a big group of people. And you know there had to be other kids running around. And you know that they probably had the conversation of, oh, hey, have you seen Jesus? Oh, yeah, he's, he's playing with John the Baptist. And they'd be like, why is he called John the Baptist? And he's like, don't worry. Years later, he'll start baptizing. That was a bad joke, but you'll get it. But like, yeah, he's with his cousin, JTB. And so it's like, oh, okay, good. Well, he's fine. And, and after a day, they're like, hold on, where is Jesus? Okay, so give them a little bit of slack here. Uh, yesterday, Kinsey and I went to some friends' houses to watch the OU football game. And um, just, thank you, sooner. And so even whenever, like, it's just the two of us, and then we have two kids. So literally 50% of our traveling party is children, right? And so even when we were leaving, we had the leftover queso and I had the leftover Dr. Peppers. I was sure to take those back because I took them. And then I was like, hey, do you drink Dr. Pepper? And the guy's like, no. And I was like, well, I'm taking my Dr. Pepper back. And we're leaving and we get almost out the door. And I look at Kinsey and I said, where are the kids? Like, did, I was like, do you have the girls? And she goes, no. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're terrible parents. And I was like, we almost just left our kids inside. And there's just two of them and two of us. And I'm like, so I get it. I read that and I was like, I get you, Mary and Joseph. Like, I understand 100%. Uh, so verse 45, it says, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, she's probably a little upset as well, son, why have you treated us like this? 
Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Did, okay, so pause there. He's 12 years old. At this point, what do 12-year-old Jewish boys start to do? They start learning their father's trade, right? They start being trained in to be a blacksmith or carpenter. And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? He says, look at this. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Why? Because his father is not Joseph. His father is God, right? But look at verse 50. But they did not understand what he was saying. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to all them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Okay, so that phrase right there. His mother treasured all these things in her her heart. So I want to I want to point something out about Mary here. Okay, so we're not Catholic. We're a Protestant evangelical. Our our theology is different than Catholic theology. We don't worship Mary. We don't pray to Mary. Mary was um, sinful. She was not perfect. Okay, and so and and what I'm seeing here is Mary struggled with with doubt. Right. So when we look at this section of Luke, I want to point out something that Luke does. He starts. And he ends, he bookends this section that's only in his gospel with something about Mary. Go back and look at verse 19. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. Look how he begins this section. Verse 19. This was after Jesus was born. And so as soon as he's born, verse 19 reads, but Mary, look at this, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. At the end of this section, Luke concludes it with, what does it say? But his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So in verse 19, there's, there's two words. It says, Mary treasured these things, and then she pondered them. Okay? So let's go Greek for one second. That word, when it says treasured these things, remember, this is everything that she had encountered so far like that she saw an angel that says you're going to be you're going to be conceived with the holy spirit she she uh went and met with elizabeth and uh, elizabeth pointed out that jesus was in her womb john the baptist um uh, leapt in elizabeth's womb when mary walked in the door uh, they found this place where Jesus was going to be uh, birthed. And then these shepherds, these temple shepherds show up out of nowhere and they're praising God for what has happened here. And it says, to, to start with, it says Mary treasured up these things. That word treasured up, it means that she's taking this information and she's carefully holding on to it, right? She's not haphazardly just grabbing stuff back, right? It, it's this idea of like you, you take something and you look at it and then you file it away saying I'm going to remember this and come back to this later. This year I've started teaching high school or middle school math again and so I teach uh, 12 and 13 year olds algebra which is just fun. Like they're every day they're like I can't wait to learn. They're like teach me more. And, and then every day at the end of class they're like no class is over. And so it's fun. But what I do is I'm a pretty mean teacher, and I have 
I have them do all their homework on paper with a pencil and I don't allow a calculator and they work out of the book as I'm just old school. And so every day they take notes and every day they turn in homework. And then at, at the end of the day, I, I give them back their homework. And this is like homework that I put time into and I graded it. And sometimes I'll put little notes like, great job, or maybe you should find a trade. Algebra is not your thing, you know? And it's like, and I, and I have this stuff that I hand back. And this is going to be a shocker to you. Do you think those kids treasure up those, that feedback? No. Like, I watch them, and, they, and half the time they're on the floor, or they, maybe it ends up in their notebook, and it's crammed in there. And I come back later, and I see their, their papers just mangled together. And I'm like, ah, my babies, learn to organize. Like, learn some life skills, you know? But there's a, there's a, few, there's a few kids that they treasure up those things. They have these things, um, uh, young people in the room, they have these things called dividers. And, and those little holes that are in the paper, that's actually so you can put paper in behind a divider and you can stay organized and you can, tre- my goal is I'm like, I want them to treasure up these, these notes and, and I want them to treasure up this homework. And as I say that out loud, that sounds so stupid. They're not going to do it, but I want them to realize I'm going to use this information later. Like, the, the reason I want them to treasure up these things and put, is not to say, oh, look at these things, but I want them to recognize, hey, later on, 50% of your grade comes down to your test. And I want them to treasure those things so later on they go and look and say, oh my gosh, and they haven't realized yet, but a lot of my tests I take exactly from the homework. Maybe they'll realize that one day, right? But they don't treasure up. And so it says what Mary does here is she is, she takes these things and she is putting them in that binder. Like, she is treasuring these these things that she's seeing and she's like I've got to remember this why is that look verse 19 it says she pondered them in her heart so that word pondered and and this is this taking me a long time to get here that word pondered right there that needs to be underlined in your bible that word pondered in her heart it means to consult it means to confer it means to dispute with and sometimes it means even to fight against. Did you hear me? So it says that Mary takes these things, holds on to them, and what is she doing with them? Sometimes she is fighting with it. Do y'all see this? And, and now think about the big picture here, okay? So people around Mary, we're only in chapter 2. This, the angel comes to her and says, you're going to give birth to a son. And Mary's response, she says, how will that be? Do you think she fought with that? Right? Uh, later on, John the Baptist in the womb leapt in the womb. Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, the mother of my Lord. And even Elizabeth says of Mary, hey, you have believed. And by the way, that's the only time in Scripture that it says Mary had faith. That's the only time in Scripture is that Elizabeth says this of her. Later on, Zechariah, it, it says that when he praised God as soon as he was able to speak, this is all about Jesus. Later on, the shepherds show up and, and they, uh, after they see Jesus, they go and spread the Word and they're joyfully exclaiming God's truth. It says, 
when the shepherds were speaking, it says everybody who heard was amazed. It says when Simeon uh, sees him and, and takes Jesus in his arms, it says, man, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. It says when Anna looks at Jesus, she spoke about the redemption of Jerusalem to everyone. And then even at the temple when Jesus was a boy, it says that everyone was amazed. And in all of this, Mary is fighting this. Anyone, uh, can anyone relate, by the way? Right? I mean, it says that Mary, early on when the angel comes, she says, I, how can this be? It says, verse 33, it says, the father and the, and the mother marveled at what was said about Jesus. I mean, verse 50, right there, look at verse 50. It says, they did not understand. And then verse 51, it says, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And so, I mean, think about this. For 12 years, Mary is around Jesus. And it's like, and this is where I think we can relate. It's like everybody who comes in contact with this baby is like, oh my gosh. And, and secretly, not secretly, what's Mary doing? She's, she's treasuring up all these things. And at the same time, she's wrestling with them in her heart right? Does this resonate with anyone? I mean, my gosh, like in, in our overly religious world, if you don't pay attention, it looks like everybody has everything figured out 110%, right? If, if you're not paying attention, it, if you're not treasuring up the truth, if you're just haphazardly accepting what you see online or haphazardly believing the t-shirts that people wear, or, or haphazardly believing some of the horrible theology in Christian songs, if you're haphazardly taking those things in, you, you will walk around with a weight on your shoulders thinking that everybody has this perfect, flawless, complete understanding of the Lord, and you will think, I'm the only one that's struggling here. Right? But if we take these things and treasure them up and then sometimes wrestle with them, we realize there's some honesty there. We realize the Lord works through that. We realize that even amidst our doubts that the Lord says, hey, I still want to use you. Our doubt does not disqualify us from service uh, with the Lord. Last thing I want to look at. Go to Matthew chapter 28. I want to show this to you. Man, the Lord seems to love doubters. Matthew chapter 28. So this is a different gospel. This is Matthew's gospel. Matthew was an apostle. He was a firsthand witness. So everything, I mean, he, see, he saw, he seed. Wow. He saw and touched and walked with Jesus and he was there at these stories. And so look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. And I've been over this before, but I have to read this often because it's worth repeating. And I hope today... Please, I hope somebody takes encouragement from this, not discouragement, right? Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. So this is at the end. This is the very, very end. Jesus has died, risen, um, come back from the dead. He's met, seen by over 500 people. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, please look at this, they worshipped Him. And then what's the next words? But some doubted. Pause. Who is in this scene? Okay, we've got Jesus. And who else? The eleven apostles. Like these, 
these are not random. These are the 11 apostles. Judas is dead by now. These are the 11. Like, these are the guys that literally saw Jesus heal, I mean, bring him back from the dead. These are the men that literally saw Jesus walking on water. Like, they literally saw uh, Jesus uh, take the lunch of a kid and feed 5,000 men with it. Like, do you see this? Is this absurd? Here's the apostles and Jesus. It says they worshipped Him and at the same time some of them doubted. Okay? So, so please don't believe that thing of like, well, when I believe 100%, then I can worship the Lord. I think the Lord is actually praised more when we worship Him through our doubts. Right? That even in the middle of doubt, we choose to say, God, I'm choosing to trust You. God, my understanding is not what I want it to, but I'm trusting in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. And then look at Jesus' response. Then Jesus came to them and said, when you believe 100% fully, then I would like you to go and give your life to me. Right? Anyone's version say something else? Okay, good. No, Jesus said, amidst the, they're doubting Him face to face, he says, hey, by the way, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not, not you. Not your understanding. All authority is mine. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. So please don't miss this. Like you have this picture that these guys are filled with doubt and face to face Jesus says, yep. Yeah, I'm prepared for this. In fact, I, in fact, I think He expected it. And He says, even in your doubt, you're not disqualified from service. It's not a, it's not a free pass. You know, it's not a, hey, Jesus, here's my doubt card. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to offend you. No, we say, here's my doubt card. And he says, yeah, I get it. And then on the other side of the doubt card, he says, oh, there's trust in me, by the way. Right? And so, I think that's why Luke puts this in there. He puts these three stories that aren't in any other gospel, and he bookends both of them with, he says, Mary is fighting these things in her heart. Right? And so, if you're like me, sometimes we look around and we think, God, this person has, is perfectly united with with. Uh, in their fellowship with Lord. Oh, this guy never struggles. You know, this guy's absolutely... And we're struggling and we're fighting. And so please hear me. Don't believe that, guys. Take these things. Treasure them up. Think through it. Fight through it. And then talk with one another. And I promise you, when you actually talk with other believers, you'll find that we're believers, but we're believers fighting against our unbelief. You know? Like everybody in this room... <laughs> Our story is, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, I promise you. And that's, God takes that and says, all right, there's our starting point right there. So I think someone in this room needed to hear that um, today. And, and please remember, guys, faith is hard, but you're not alone. Do not walk through this alone. Don't do it. it what I'd encourage you is trust in the Lord with all your heart. And at the same time, the same thing is to do not trust in your own understanding. There's a way that seems right in the eyes of man, but in the end, it leads to death. I just made that up. You should write that down. I'm just kidding. That was, yeah, that was the Bible. Just joking. No lightning bolts. That was that, quoting the Bible then. That was pretty good. So let me pray for us, and then um, 
uh, and then we'll make lunch plans. Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for doubters um, like me. God, thank you for all of us, doubters like all of us. Lord, help us to find encouragement and help us to find peace. Lord, I pray that our eyes would not be on other people, but that our eyes would be on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, and, and one day um, we won't need faith and one day we won't need hope. One day we'll have sight. And so, like right now, what Paul says, he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And then he says, but the greatest of these is love because one day we can remove faith and we can remove hope because we will be standing face-to-face in the presence of you. And so help us to keep our eyes on you, not, not on other people's faith, God. Keep our eyes on you and that we would link arms with others and that we would be open with our doubts and that we would be open with our frustrations and that we would be open with our struggles. And I find that that's when just grace upon grace upon grace um, is present and brings life. And so, God, I just pray against exhaustion. It's exhausting trying to have it all together. It's so tiring. And so, I pray for just honesty. So, this is our prayer, Lord. Amen.